Now it's time for the next conversation in our series, Exit Interview. Here we are talking to former Phoenicians about why they left, why Phoenix couldn't keep them here. Phoenix, it's not cool to say you're from Phoenix. Like, I'm guilty of that too. Anybody that told me that they were born and raised in Phoenix and then they're in their 30s, I'm like, what are you doing here? You should leave. <laughs> I don't trust you at all. You are and have been for your entire life so entrenched in this place. Um, you know, what did it take to, to get you to move? What's that been like? Well, what it really took is a pandemic. Huh? My body sort of had like this fight or flight response. And I was like, man, I got to get out of this country. Like this country is not built for us. I wanted a challenge. I wanted to grow. And people say in New York, that's if you can survive there, <laughs> you can live anywhere. You think you'll ever come back? I will never say never. I really can't say what's going to happen in the future, but... I, I'm not letting go of Phoenix. What kept me here was the people. I was fortunate enough to meet some wonderful individuals, genuine, really good people. Today, meet Rachel Egboro. One day we were in Central Park and a woman was coming towards us, talking to her friend in the opposite direction. And she said, first she stabbed him, and then she set fire to the house. <laughs> we both looked at each other like, what the hell? <laughs> That's her on stage as part of The Whole Story, an all-black storytelling event that she founded in Phoenix in 2016. In New York, you never know who's going to cross your path. And I love that as an eavesdropper, nosy person, <laughs> people watcher. Like, that's the perfect city to do all of that. Igboro was born and raised in Phoenix, the daughter of Nigerian immigrants who came here for her father's degree at ASU. She told me she's always loved stories. She majored in English in college. Because I like to read and write and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, so chose something I enjoyed. <laughs> then, as an adult here, she developed two sort of parallel careers, one in nonprofits and philanthropy and another on storytelling stages across the valley. Arizona Storytellers, different open mics, and then started a show with my mentor, Dan Hole, called The Storyline. And for about a year in, what was that, 2014? Every month on a Friday night at 10.30, we'd perform at Space 55. Storytelling was having a moment, and she was learning to hone the craft, but she noticed something as she did it. There was just a handful of us Black people telling our stories on the different stages across Phoenix. And in Phoenix, it's very easy to, or at least it was, not to have a day-to-day -day experience with Black people. At the time, about 8% of the community was Black. Then, as Black Lives Matter's protesters filled the streets in cities across the country and racial tensions rose, she decided to form the whole story. A space dedicated to Black narratives that really highlighted the diversity of our experience beyond what was shared in the news. And then also really to cultivate Black voices and storytellers for the other stages across the city. What was that like? I guess I mean, it sounds like you were really able to create community around that, to give a voice to your own community. 
Um, and in this place where, as you say, it wasn't, you know, one of the main ones, I, I, what did that feel like? Was it empowering? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it felt scary. You know, at first I, I tried to pass the buck to other people that had spaces for Black voices, like poetry open mics and things like mm -hmm. that. So for me to stand up and say, okay, I'm going to do a show for Black narratives, it was, I kind of felt like an imposter. Um, <laughs> but I was so passionate about the, and still, I'm still very passionate about the mission and the cause that everyone kept saying, you have to do it, Rachel. So I had to do it. <laughs> the show was a hit. They were performing at the Phoenix Art Museum regularly, highlighting the stories of the Black community here to an audience that was largely not. She told me Phoenix made it easy to do. The word space is what I always associate with Phoenix. Mm -hmm. What I love about Phoenix is there's space for people to experiment, to try something new. You can mess up, but, you know, the desert is forgiving. You can come yeah. back and try try again. But, and you knew this was coming, right? She left. For Egboro, it was a combination of things. The pandemic, the chance to grow, but mostly it was about love. Here is her exit interview. So the whole story started live shows in 2017. By 2020, I was ready to expand it somehow, challenge myself, you know, my end goals to get Michelle Obama on the stage. I, w I had wanted to make it broader and incorporate more stories from other places. And the pandemic seemed like a perfect way to branch into that virtually. After a couple virtual shows and events, I just missed the audience. You know, there's, yeah. there's something about the whole story audience that makes it feel like church, you know, people are doing the call and response. There's the ad libs and it's just, <laughs> it's, there's this, there's just nothing like it. So yeah, after some virtual attempts, took a step back and just, you know, focused on surviving like everyone else. Um, yeah. And then in the midst of that, met someone who lived in New York, who works with Black artists in art spaces like galleries and museums. So found synergy in that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the more we connected, the more we had in common and then decided to meet up um, in the middle of the pandemic and sparks flew and, <laughs> and that was it. I, I was fortunate to have a good friend who sent my resume to a company in New York and they relocated me in June of 2021. So now I live very close to the man that I love, who's soon to be my fiance and mm -hmm. working in the city and still wanting to tell black stories and figuring out how to do that next. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. First of all, <laughs> what a love Thank story. <laughs> uh, so what's this been like? I mean, Phoenix to New York, um, I've done it before as a huge change. Mm -hmm. What are your impressions? Yeah. First impression is there's no space. <laughs> you have to fight. <laughs> you have to fight for it. And it's it's a very small space. So I went from having my own home and my brother is a roommate to living with strangers in a six floor apartment in Washington mm -hmm. Heights. Mm -hmm. But then when I go outside, I'm exposed to so much more than I was in Phoenix. In Phoenix, it was easy to to maintain my space and my car and my home to keep distance, social distancing, if you will. Um, yeah. But in New York, that's not really possible. 
And so I can eavesdrop and listen in on conversations <laughs> that I, you know, would have to be at a coffee shop to listen to. I can hear them on the street. And yeah, it's just a whole new way of hearing and being exposed to stories that I haven't been before. So I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. You were such an important part of the Black community here, right? Like you you were able to give a voice to it in such a unique way, in such a new way, an important way. What's the experience for you like being a Black person there versus what you were and, and what you experienced here? Yeah, I'm still part of the Black community in Phoenix. You know, I'll come back. But yeah, in New York, it's different because the Blackness is much more diverse than it is in Phoenix. There's people from Senegal and Harlem. There's people from the Dominican Republic in Washington Heights. Then I go to Brooklyn and it's beds die, do or die. Um, <laughs> there's just, there's just so much diversity of stories and narratives and being one of many, depending on where I am on the train is, is really, is really cool. I don't, hmm. I don't feel like I'm the only one in all the spaces anymore or in certain spaces. Whereas in Phoenix, although it's changing, I'm, I'm more relishing just the open black experiences and examples of black joy on the street. I would follow on Instagram, um, the whole stories page. I follow a lot of different black photographers and experiences. And most of them actually are in New York city. So in Phoenix, I would look from afar and just kind of look at, oh, like that's what, that's the picture of joy and community and block parties. And now yeah. that I'm here, it's like a whole new, it's like, I'm part of that narrative now of yeah. what, what the ideal or, you know, just what it can look like. And it, it feels overwhelming because it's like, this is what's possible, but it, it's also happening. Um, so then I look back at Phoenix and and know like those things are happening there. There's plenty of entrepreneurs and things and meetups that are happening that people just don't really know about. Um, yeah. And so they look to New York, but I think, you know, Phoenix has its own culture and vibe and, you know, the word will spread and it will become the the ideal as well. That's really cool. Are there things you feel like are unfinished here that um, since you've left, you feel like you want to, you know, come back someday and finish? Do you feel like there are parts of it that you miss? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the funny thing about the show being called The Whole Story is you can never tell it all. <laughs> yeah. So you can never finish it. There's always stories to be told, um, whether it's me curating them or, you know, someone that I can bring up after me. But I'll always want to join in and help celebrate all the stories that can be told. The thing that I probably miss the most is just the, someone said that in New York, you can be comfortably anonymous and, mm. you know, people will say it's a, it turns into a small city. Like when you run into a friend on the train or in the street and that hasn't happened to me yet. So I do miss the real smallness and I guess, actual smallness of Phoenix, even though it's the fifth largest city, running into people I know at the grocery store, or coffee shop or something. I, I do miss that, just the being known, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, um, 
So this series is all about, you know, people who have left Phoenix and people who are important to Phoenix who have left Phoenix. Um, why do you think people are drawn away? Is there something about this city that, you know, doesn't live up to its own potential or doesn't give people everything that they need, even when they're mm. putting so much into it? Hmm. I think people leave because they don't realize what they have. Hmm. And so they need to leave to appreciate what they have or had. With Phoenix, what I love about it, along with its space, is it's still new. It's still being defined. Um, its potential is there. Anyone can come and shape it how they want. So for me, I left the Valley knowing and loving Phoenix for all of those things. I know what I, I gave up. And so when I come back and being able to look out the window of the plane and seeing the skyline and the sky, the sun, the mountains, you know, it's like oh, the breath of fresh air, that space. Yeah. But I also went to New York because I wanted a, a challenge. I wanted to grow. And people say in New York, that's if you can survive there, <laughs> put in your time, you could you could live anywhere. So I think going to New York was just my way of saying, all right, I've done my part and want to see how I can improve and grow and stretch myself so that when it's my turn again, I can just take things to the next level. Yeah. All right. Rachel Egboro, founder of The Whole Story, joining us today. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story. I really appreciate it, and best of luck in New York. Thank you so much. listening to Exit Interview. An earlier version of this story appeared on KJZZ's The Show. If you liked this episode, subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Exit Interview is a KJZZ original production. This episode was written, produced, and hosted by me, Lauren Gilger. It was co-produced by Nick Sanchez, and our executive producer is Amy Silverman. Until next time, thanks for listening.